and welcome to the HMP Governance Lab podcast. I'm Holly Jarman and I'm going to be talking to you today about qualitative research, in particular, practical skills for qualitative research, which I think is an overlooked topic sometimes in these kinds of courses. You know, you're out there interacting with real people. And if you're anything like me, I'm a little bit socially awkward at the best of times. So I have to work really hard on my interaction with people, my how I present myself. And so it's a little bit trying to be a, a good and rounded human being in your interactions with others. And it's a little bit trying to be organized and having a process for conducting this research. So there are some key interview skills that everybody should learn. And the first thing we're going to talk about is rapport. Uh, and you'll hear me talk in this podcast several times about establishing rapport with your participants. So establishing a good relationship with your interviewee is incredibly useful. And it's useful for a couple of reasons. First of all, you don't want this experience to be a painful or bad one for either you or your interviewee. You know, it's in your best interests for this to go smoothly because um, hopefully you'll enjoy what you're doing and be more motivated to continue and be really gathering some useful, valuable information. So I think it's important to respect yourself in this process and also respect your other participants. And one of the ways to do that is by trying to build good rapport with them. It's also very good uh, for improving the quality of the information you obtain. So people will be more willing to share their experiences with someone that they trust and feel is listening to them. And so I see sometimes people who are inexperienced researchers rushing or um, interrupting their participants or um generally condensing the interview in a way that makes the interviewee feel uncomfortable and so this is a this is a learned skill you can learn to establish better rapport with your participants and a lot of it is about listening paying attention to cues but doing all of that whilst juggling the practical things you have to do in terms of note taking um, and thinking about stuff like body language. Uh, so there's a visual, physical and uh, mental components to this. Uh, and I think if you can get a bit of practice in interviewing, you know, interview your friends, interview your family members, make a nuisance of yourself at family gatherings. This is the kind of thing that you need to do to practice your interview skills. And so then you will get a better sense of how to speak in public, how to interact with others. And it's also very good for building your professionalism in a lot of different contexts. So it's an extension of good ethical practice because you're considering carefully how you approach your interviewee, how you act, interact with them. You know, establishing rapport begins before you even say one word to your interviewee and before you're in your physical or virtual room with them. And so um, the first approach can be the email that you send or the letter or fax that you send to them. Yes, some people still use faxes, deal with it. Um, and so it can be that first contact that starts to establish this relationship. And so that makes the email pretty important. 
That said, if you're anything like me, you'll hear that and go off and be incredibly nervous about constructing that email. So don't overthink it too much, but still uh, do put some thought into how you establish that first contact. At the interview itself, um, you know, before you even get there, you're considering factors like how you're going to arrive at the interview location, how you're going to greet that person, how you're going to get into the building sometimes. I have had interviews before, uh, particularly in Brussels, where it is not easy to get into buildings because they all have these weird entry phones. Um, And that might be really much safer for the people in the building, but it's actually quite bad if you're an interviewer trying to get in. Um, And so you're thinking about these practical things. You want to turn up on time, not disheveled, because sometimes you're taking public transport or a taxi or you're rushing from interview to interview. Um, Think about how you're going to make it there in good time, in good order and composed so that the, the interview starts off on a good on the right foot. Um, and so in the room itself, you're thinking about how you get in there, how you uh, greet the person. Do you shake hands? Uh, do you how are you going to sit down? Are you going to wait until you're invited to sit down? Those kinds of questions. Uh, so a little bit of etiquette there. But also, um, once you start talking to them, how what's how are you going to moderate your tone of voice? How are you going to make sure you control your body language to maximize your chances of rapport. And so again, after a little bit of practice, these things will come as easily as breathing. It's not rocket science. It is just a craft skill that you have to obtain. That said, you know, thinking about uh, how you ask questions. Do you speak too quickly when you speak? Do you tend to do... um, run your sentences into one another do you say um every word and do you want to train yourself to do that a bit less just so that you appear confident and uh, your questions come out smoothly and most importantly so that person can understand and understand that you really do want to talk to them and you genuinely do want to hear what they have to say there's nothing worse as an interview participant in participating in the interview and feeling like the person on the other end didn't put enough work in to understanding your background or your expertise or they didn't bother figuring out what your job was or something like that, right? So you, you need to know that your interviewer is prepared and courteous and shows up on time and respects your time and is genuinely listening to what you have to say. So please note a lot of these factors are going to vary depending on the research you're doing and the cultural context you're in, the country you're in, the linguistic environment you're in. So a bunch of these things will make a difference. Um, You know, when greeting people in some countries in which I do research, I have to remember how many times I need to kiss them on the cheek when I meet them. And so it's in in Canada, French Canada, it's a little bit different than in France. And it's different again in Mexico. So um, that kind of just important small stuff about greetings and um, putting that person at their ease is really the core of this. During the interview itself, the next thing we need to think about is active listening. So 
this is a kind of thing where you might just have to practice until it's nice and smooth. But an active listener uses strategies to, to let the interviewee know that they're listening carefully to what's being said. So these can include some physical cues. So it can take a while to be smooth at this. But let's say you're holding a notepad and please do always have a notepad in addition to a tape recorder. You never know when your tape recorder is not going to work. But take your notepad and if you're taking notes, you need to manage the fact that you're trying to keep track of what you're writing and look at the person. You need to look them in the face on a regular basis so that they know that you're listening. And you, depending on the cultural context, you might want to nod or otherwise physically indicate that you are listening. You might want to use some encouraging gestures. You can also use verbal cues. So when you hear a good interviewer, um, they're not only giving a lot of eye contact and FaceTime, they're probably not only nodding, but they're also saying stuff like, uh-huh, mm, yes, and so on. So they're, they're, they're giving verbal cues to the other person, responding to them and giving them some energy and, and showing them that they're really understanding. At some points, you might also want to repeat or summarize what the interviewee just said in order to get them to volunteer some more information. So the way this goes is there's a pause in the conversation and um, the conversation doesn't flow the way it should. And there's a nervous tension. So to break that, I'll say, oh, so what you're really saying is that this is the case. Is that right? And I'll invite more information. And so try to get back into that conversation. You can't do that unless you've been actively listening to what the person just said. So active listening is key. The other way to fill those gaps is to uh, add a prompt or a follow-up question. So when we talked about interview protocols, a prompt is something that qualifies an original main question within your research protocol. Um, so a prompt or a follow-up question are very similar, but you're trying to elicit more information. Um, and knowing when to step in and interrupt them uh, with a prompt or a follow-up question can make all the difference between a good and bad interview. So for some interviews, you want to interrupt as little as possible and really, really center the interviewee and their voice and their story. So imagine I'm talking to somebody about a sensitive topic and I'm asking them to recount some personal stuff, you know. They're reflecting on their health experiences. Maybe this is emotionally potentially disturbing for them. So in that context, one of the things that I least want to do is interrupt. And so I'm going to plan ahead by making sure I schedule plenty of time for the interview and flexibility so that if the interview goes wrong or uh, takes more time than I originally planned for, I can change my plans um, because I'm respecting that person and their story. If it's like a policy interview, so when I interview policymakers, policymakers talk 
and they have they are professionals doing their jobs and I'm mostly asking them about things that fall in the purview of their responsibility so especially public health people I find they have a script it's an internal script in their head they're very clear on their communications points and unless I really stop them they will recite that script to me And that script is not going to make a very interesting interview. It's going to tell me things that are publicly available answers to the question. Maybe in a press release or something, if I searched online, I would actually find a similar explanation. That's when I really need to know when to interrupt. Is it necessary and desirable? And I can ask, do this in some variously subtle ways, like, ask for more information about a point or that's so interesting could you please tell me a bit more about that or how did that work in practice and so I'll try to use these follow-up questions which I will try and work out in advance in my protocol and practice a little bit in my pilot interviews and that's going to produce a better quality interview because I'm interrupting the script because quite often what I don't want is the script I want the story uh, the, that gets at some causation behind that. And so I, by trying to draw that interviewee in and break them off of the script, I'm going to get some more original information that is not really necessarily the PR version of what they want to say. And that, that can be incredibly helpful in trying to establish a narrative. Um, however, you know, it's obviously really important to know your interviewee, know and have considered in what ways they might be vulnerable and you are prioritizing even in the case where you're interrupting or asking prompts you're prioritizing that interviewee their safety and their um their livelihoods essentially so their job their life their information and that's key so knowing how to interrupt appropriately and politely and make the conversation flow is a thing that you just have to practice Um, but interviews in the field really do learn this quickly and um, it only might take a few interviews with people you know before you're ready to do some with people you don't know and you'll be surprised at how quickly this skill develops while all this talking is going on guess what else you're doing you're taking notes so this is hard you're trying to listen actively listen display good body language prompt or probe uh, appropriately to keep the conversation flowing and you're trying to take notes so some people want to uh, take a lot of quotes Uh, during the interview my interviews don't use a lot of quotes so I never really bothered learning shorthand but if you're taking paper notes you might want to learn it Uh, that's what journalists will quite often use so you can take some small snippets of quotes normally during note taking I find it very useful I will normally divide up my note-taking page in order to have some free-form notes some prompts and some quote spaces so that I can fill in those different things in different parts of the page and not really get a cluttered result because at the end of the day I have to write this thing up as a memo and process all this information so the more organized I can be from the start the better Um, so the physical structure of your interview protocol on the page and how you are able to write notes next, next to specific questions can be very helpful Another way to do this is to rely on your short-term memory. So 
get your protocol and have obviously have a copy of your protocol in the interview with you but also just five minutes before the interview immediately before you go in memorizing the core questions can make the interview flow much better with those questions in your short-term memory you have uh, the better ability to navigate and that leaves more room for note-taking uh, especially you don't want to really be flipping between pages during an interview that can be really distracting so um, you want a couple of pieces of paper but not too many um, so the note-taking um, is a f this physical action that you again have to practice you want to have a clipboard or an ipad or a something that uh, is hopefully fairly sleek and discreet and you can take your notes and it's easy to write on and you definitely always want to have more than one pen you never know when your pen might run out and you'll be stuck and you do not want to be asking your interviewee for a pen another consideration here is timekeeping so this is about respect for your interviewee you are trying to keep to time because you probably in your introductory email or letter or goodness help us fax, you have said um, this interview will probably last about half an hour. So that person's budgeted. And if you crash into their schedule and then keep asking questions and you're still asking questions and it's 45 minutes past the hour, they might well be uh, justified in saying, look, we have to wrap this up. I have another meeting, I have to be across town, I have to do something else, you know. Um, so being respectful and this is partly about piloting your interview protocol, making sure it's not too long and also practicing those skills for interrupting people who are very loquacious. When you get an interviewee who will answer in very, very long paragraphs to every question. You immediately have to take note and take action to make sure you're going to get all the way through the protocol. And so there are some polite ways to do that. Don't say, oh, well, that's very interesting. I have another question and, and like try and rush them. But you want to try to say, oh, that is actually very pertinent for my next question. And my next question is kind of here. And so it flows nicely into the next topic. That's sort of what you want with an interruption like that. So pacing, you need to make sure that you cover all your questions for every interviewee. Uh, and so that doesn't mean if you get into some specific, very interesting discussion that you shouldn't make time for that discussion, but you do have to keep an eye on the interview topics as a whole and the content you want to cover don't go over time and what's more I think you should try to end a little early uh, if you can end wrap it up the main discussion within five minutes of the actual deadline you'll be surprised sometimes interviewees will open up in the last five minutes when they think the formal pressure is off and the interview is kind of done they might tell you things that they would never normally tell you or they wouldn't have told you at the beginning of the interview you want to make sure that last five or ten minutes is actually quite precious because hopefully you've established a good rapport with them you're getting on well and they feel comfortable and it's when they feel the most comfortable that they're going to start to um 
open up more and, and tell you um, how things really are. And that's kind of what you want with this is to make them feel comfortable and at, at ease enough so that they're really sharing uh, the most relevant information. And so I hope that some of this tells you uh, a bit about what we do during the interview and how to practically address some of these questions. I would say too that following on from the interview, I'll make sure that practically I have space between interviews, but then I also have space at the end of the day. Uh, so this is a bit like I was discussing in the archive research and document analysis podcast. You're trying to make sure that you have space to reflect. And so what this means in practice is taking notes during the interview, but then reading back those notes to yourself and writing memos. And you probably want to write a, um, a memo immediately after the interview. So sit in the car park or sit in a coffee shop or sit on a bus, whatever you, you have the space to do. Read through those notes and write them into a memo that reflects a little bit on what you heard and try and maximize your recall of that experience because you'll be able to flesh out those notes quite a bit in just 10 or 15 minutes. Then after a couple of interviews, let's say at the end of the day, you can write a good memo that synthesizes some of the things you found during that day. And that's why keeping a sort of research notes, diary or um notebook of some kind is incredibly helpful here and this kind of memoing is a very important indicator of quality during qualitative research that reflection is going to make the difference between you producing a very descriptive basic kind of research finding uh, and more um, meaningful knowledge and so equally at the end of a research period, which might be a week or a couple of days or whatever uh, makes sense to you, you're going to do that reflection again. And each of these reflective memos can be at a higher level of abstraction. So you're starting to engage your brain, your memory um, and your expertise in constructing a narrative. And what you're going to do is then extend that memo writing and eventually it will turn into coding and analysis um, and that's one of the topics we're going to be talking about next. So do have a think about how you're going to practically conduct your interviews. And uh, I will see you back here next time. Thanks a lot. This has been an HMP Governance Lab podcast. If you're interested in learning more about our research, come and find us at www.governancelab.org or follow us on Twitter at HMPGovLab. <laughs>